Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tonight we welcome a special guest, Jacob Sanderson. And last year, if you're one of the sickos, you probably recall we did a very fun episode on best ball upside, how to take down tournaments, players to target, ways to figure out which types of players to even draft that have the appropriate upside to win you tournaments. And today, we're going to run that back 2023 style, build upon that a little bit, and figure out if we can unlock the skeleton keys to 2023 best ball tournaments. Let's do it. I want to add Jacob to the show. I clicked the <laughs> button. I clicked the button to add you to the show while the intro is going. And then like I'm firing off some tweets and some messages and everything, you know, in the 30 seconds or whatever. And I come back. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Then you just see your own mug on uh, your own <laughs> mug on the screen right in front of you. So uh, that's that's always fun. But Jacob, how uh, how is everything going? I haven't gotten to talk to you in uh, since I think the draft. draft. We the were, draft. It was the ship chasing draft party. Okay. Um we were usually getting interrupted by an inebriated Benjamin Gratch <laughs> after every Danny word. So, I actually I love that I love that stream. A Gretch's was hilarious and drunk, and everybody probably has a little bit too much to drink. But it's a lot of people that come together with very different opinions, all of which I I respect. Well, except for Gretch's that night, and <laughs> yeah, that was a Gretch like, imposter. You know, we're all busy. We all don't always get a lot of time to to come to come together. And so I enjoy bouncing ideas, right? You're, you're like in the heat of the moment at this point, like mm. Zach Charbonnet on the Seahawks. What the fuck just happened? Why is that? You know, and you get to bounce some different things off of off of people. That's when my uh, Sam Howell love two years nice. ago got like kind of confirmed because uh, in particular, Sean Siegel, but others uh, on there were like, yeah, like, why would you take Malik Willis or why would you take Kenny Pickett in the first when you could just have Sam Howell? And so <clears throat> maybe that's a little bias for me that I've held on to that confirmation bias from other <laughs> smart people. But I'm happy to have you on because last year it is wrong. It has stuck with me literally for like an entire year. The conversation that that we had around just kind of it was really just how to approach best ball. But mm -hmm. you went in in depth on some really interesting insights as opposed like people always think about projections and who's gonna you know get the most targets and market share and all these different things and you came at it from a different angle a little more similar to how i think about things in terms of just we need to target the guys who can win us this tournament first and foremost regardless of how they look right now you know especially in early july um so a how, how is how is everything going and b how are you kind of uh uh just thinking about from a macro level, 2023 best ball as it's getting even crazier. It's a crazier environment than we've ever had in fantasy football. Well, I think it's going great. Um, super fun year to play best ball. It's, it's hilarious. Like I've, I've gotten, I've fully gotten Stockholm syndrome to our best ball economy. When <laughs> I, I saw a guy that I draft some high stakes teams with 
be like, I think we got to take Mike Evans this year. And I was like, in the early six, he was like, bro, he's going in the nineties on FFPC right now. It's like, oh yeah, right. That's how the rest of the world lives. <laughs> it yeah. must be nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not taking players that project for 9.5 half PPR points per game <laughs> in the fifth, but it feels like the, uh, it feels like the entire industry has like learned that lesson to such a degree where it really creates a fascinating draft environment this year. I think I've almost gone two different ways where, you know, I talked about it on the show last year, I think in, in pretty broad terms where it was like, I think the edge just is like people aren't playing best ball effectively. They aren't actually trying to optimize for the right outcomes. And I think you could kind of take like a pretty broad approach where I was just like, if I click the names that have the most uncertainty attached almost irrespective of examining their specific environments, I'm probably coming away on net ahead of the game. Like if I'm just Mm -hmm. taking all the rookies, I'm taking all the guys with injury questions, I'm taking whatever. And it's getting harder and harder, I think, to apply that approach generally. Like we, we now live in a world where Calvin Ridley hasn't played football in a year and a half and he goes in the middle of the third round, right? We it's, and I'm not even saying that's like a, a terrible thing. It's just, it does seem like, the community has learned, I think, the right lesson in that regard, but it makes it harder and it makes us, I think, have to have like more individualized player takes. We have to scrutinize, I think, more when the community is actually baking in all the upside versus when they're picking and choosing and being a little bit hypocritical. I think there's some guys for sure that that's applying to. And I also have to view the wide receivers and the running backs very separate from each other, I think, this year. Like, no. I, I wrote a piece. Um, called this is the we're in the we're in the era of comparative advantage drafting at this point where like like sure in every single round for the first eight rounds the running back projects for more points than the wide receiver i get it you're not taking eight of them so it really doesn't even matter that e- much. E- even more probably I, I i i did this math i need to go back and look at it again i want to say all the way down through probably the Tyler Algiers and Dolphins guys and Bears, secondary Bears guys, whatever, you know, in the, we're talking into the 150s yeah. or so in, in ADP using underdog ADP. Uh, I don't know about FFPC, but uh, it, it 100% is a running back. Project. Obviously, throw the quarterbacks out the window. But after the top four players, right? So the top four wide receivers, which yeah. is um, Cooper, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Cooper Cup, Tyreek Hill. A running back projects the best from that yeah. moment forward until like in the 150s. Then you might get into some of these wide receivers that are a little bit uh, uh, some young wide receivers that Once actually yeah. look good. But then it's funny. Then it's not running backs at the end, and it's also not wide receivers. Then it's tight ends. It's tight ends at, at, yeah. at the end. So it's a it's it's we never seen this before. Basically, just to reiterate your point. Right. It's very strange. So to me, it's like that, that clearly just enhances the type of upside you need to be telling a story on for the running backs. Right. Cause it's like your, your running back out hitting his ADP is, is like almost a, it's almost a prerequisite, right? Like if mm-hmm. um, this will be the first of probably many times that I just make fun of Najee Harris, but like if Najee Harris is the RB nine this year, like congratulations, but like I, that's just really not accomplishing a whole lot for you. So, cause you can get like, like, there's so many options that like the, which one of the Rashad white, Damian Pierce, Cam Akers, James Connor, like one of those guys is going to make his ADP look silly without mm-hmm. doing anything particularly special. Like one mm-hmm. of them is just going to projectable volume his way to RB eight and be an absolute epic smash in round seven, eight. So you for sure need to focus more on like that 
you know, where, where are the pockets and who are the players that have the largest comparative advantage versus the wide receivers, not just going to out at their ADP. And similarly with the wide receivers, you know, I, I think you have to look at it. It's like, okay, sure. Is this wide receiver going to outscore the running back at his base projection? The answer is almost always probably no, but to me, it's like, I'm trying to balance it almost on both sides because it's a little scary for me to take some of these really low floor wide receivers because you don't get that many shots at good ones, right? Like yeah. if I'm only taking last year, probably almost half my drafts were either like one running back through seven or zero running backs through seven. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that scary. If I miss one of those wide receivers in that window, I'm, I'm pretty robust there. If you take Christian Watson at the beginning of the fourth, and I, I do sometimes, like I think that his upside case is tantalizing, but if you airball that pick, like it's just so debilitating because you probably only have three, four other wide receivers you legitimately feel good about that aren't either like dart throw Marvin Mims or spray and pray MVS. Like it's just, it gets so thin so fast that I think I'm, I've been taking the most of the guys that I think are like secure in their roles and their talent but also have like an upside that you can sell yourself on, which winds up being like a little bit less of the rookies, a little bit less of like Christian Watson, more of some of those second, third year guys that I think have a little bit more stability, but you can still sell yourself on. Yeah. So all this brings me to the conversation that has been had a thousand times already this summer, but I do want to get your kind of general take on, mm-hmm. you mentioned pockets of draft and the, the one that has been discussed the most. Are we going to call um, the two, three turn? Absolutely. The two, three turn <laughs> second round. We'll call it, we'll, we'll, we'll expand it a smidge to say the, the mid second round where still the running backs project better, basically down right. to everybody has their own little bit of a flavor right in the front uh, outside, basically outside of Christian McCaffrey. Everybody has their own flavor of running backs that they like from Bijan down to Ramondre is basically one mm-hmm. giant tier of 10 guys or eight guys or something like that. The wide receivers that all go there, Jalen Waddle, Chris Olave, Devonta Smith, T Higgins are uh, three of them are the, not even the wide technical wide receiver one on their team, which is a, a counterpoint, which is, you know, a point people will make um, against them. Chris Olave yeah. is a, a Great football player, second-year player, had a great rookie season. But is he – like, this is a fifth-round pick not that long ago. Like, Chris Olave's profile was that of, you know, a fourth, fifth-round, something like that, uh, a couple of years ago on a reasonably unexciting offense. Had a good rookie season. But, I mean, shit, Amon Ross St. Brown went in the fifth round last year (laughs) and broke fantasy down the stretch, right? Olave had a better full season. But we have those wide receivers right there. And then you have, everyone's been waiting for this Tony Pollard thing for years. God knows I have. Please get Zeke out of there. Let us have yeah, Tony I mean, Pollard. You know, favorite player ever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you have Ramondre smash last year. Now Damian Harris is gone. You have Josh Jacobs, who was the smash last year, et cetera, et cetera, right? Saquon, blah, blah, blah. But everything that you just mentioned is, is the most the most difficult part to apply it into drafts is in the second and third rounds because the running backs are better at all points in the draft. Like we talked about, but right there is where it feels like these guys are the running backs that can win me this season. Even, even Najee supporters. I don't think real, like (laughs) um, 
realistic Najee supporters, not the people that you just can't talk, you know, can't talk to about it, but they would say, okay, yeah, Najee's not going to be Christian McCaffrey. Najee's not, I can see mm-hmm. Najee is not going to do what Josh Jacobs did last year. I mean, Najee's ceiling season probably looks like his 2021 season, which yeah, makes right. him like a really good fourth round pick, but it's not, you're not putting him on the cover of your, this is the story of the 2023 fantasy season article. A hundred percent. And if you, you know, if you flag plant him, you're not going into next season with uh, uh, 50,000 more Twitter followers because you, you know, made Najee Harris your your guy right it's just not but he does project better whatever for sure but how are you in your drafts or at least how are you thinking about it with for me like I don't want to leave the draft with no no you might you know I don't want to flip over the cards on Thursday night football and say oh my god I have three percent Tony Pollard and three percent Saquon and right because I know what the landscape is and I know that like you said when I get to seventh through twelfth rounds I can just hammer running back and have an awesome stable of running backs and not, you know, have to deal with this wide receiver problem. And I might be able you want you yeah. to pick up a, a quarterback or a tight end, whatever. But how are you kind of handling, are you dipping your toe? You know, is this uh, a double Dutch or whatever? Or like, how are you thinking through, like from a portfolio perspective, yeah. that, that kind of area of the draft? I mean, that is the comparative advantage portion to me, where it's like, if you think about what you're willing to X out, like, you know, you mentioned those those first four wide receivers off the top right offhand. It's like, that's an area where I'm pretty willing to X out the running back and the tight end. Because it's like, to me, these four wide receivers project, you know, way better than any other wide. This is the only time where I actually feel better about picking a wide receiver than running back. So I'm certainly going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is being underweight on Kelsey. And being underweight on Kelsey is obviously terrifying. <laughs> but at least, like, being underweight on Kelsey, it's like I am taking a stand against one individual human being. But, like, I just think it's really, really unlikely that, like, round two, three running backs as a whole, that no winner will be declared from that group. Like, I'm sure that of that segment, there will be running backs that get hurt, of course. There'll be running backs whose role isn't as great as we hope it is, and they score 15 points per game. But I I just think that group is, is very likely to produce a winner or two who just score, like, way more points than any of the wide receivers going after Devonte Adams score. Mm-hmm. So I think like, it's just hard to be underweight that group as a whole. And I, I don't think that it's, I think more likely than not, it's, it's not going to be super easy to predict which of those running backs it's going to be. It's probably going to be the one that stays healthy. Like if his right. team yep. is still mm-hmm. relevant, I, I just, they all project better. So It'd be one thing if there was like one, if there was like a couple running backs that I could just pick out and be like, no, that guy has no ceiling. But I, I don't really think that that's true. Like Tony Pollard's ceiling is like being the RB one overall. I think Correct. like he is mm-hmm. like for every catch that he has received in the NFL, he's performed like the best running back in the NFL. He plays in a good <laughs> offense, currently backed up by Malik Davis. Um, he was the RB seven last year on 230 touches. So <laughs> it's not like you can, you can get more. There's 292. Dallas Cowboys running back touches that are, are currently unassigned. So to me, that's like the must click, but I look at, okay, how do I get overexposed to Tony Paul? Like, man, can you, Josh Jacobs is a round three pick. is just a weird phenomenon. Like has any, has any player ever been this disrespected versus both their projection in the previous year and like the history of fantasy football? Like it's, it's honestly just fucking strange. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's even 29. He's like, tw- he's in the prime of his career. <laughs> He just had the best season of his career. He projects 
like I, I just did my projections this weekend and he, he actually projected out higher than Jonathan Taylor and Bijan Robinson for me. Like, Correct. like not in like a way that makes a difference. Like they were all like within half a point of each other, but on my spreadsheet, Jacobs is, is in the higher cell. And so it's like, okay, like, yeah, I guess I, I should probably take this guy. And I mean, and Ramondre is tough too. Cause like, I think, I think Ramondre is the one that's easiest Ramondre and Henry are the two I think that have the easiest path to failure where like, I think Ramondre Stevenson by the third snap of his first drive, you could know that you just a hundred percent. It's like it's third and eight and 38 comes off the field and Ty Montgomery comes on the field and 88 and 88 comes on the field and you go great. I just drafted Damian Pierce as a three Oh two. Correct. Um, right. And that's, that's just so painful. Mm-hmm. Because he's not he's not housing anything, right? Like he he truly does need all the volume he can get to produce league winning upside. And the second that's gone, it's done. So he's probably the one I'm I'm like I can see the path to failure for. But I can obviously also see the ceiling. Like he could just get he can be Josh Jacobs, but with yep. 30 more catches. <laughs> so right. that's pretty darn good. Um and then Henry is kind of the same thing. It's like we know what the ceiling is. He's had 19, I don't know, at half PPR, but probably the same. He doesn't catch many passes. In full point PPR, he's had 19 or more points per game in four straight seasons. So, like, obviously, <laughs> as a ceiling, it's pretty easy to tell myself the story of the failure, which is that maybe Will Levis is the quarterback of his team this year, which yeah. that seems like a good path to failure for yes. anyone else the offense. So, long story short is I'm just taking them all, but I don't really love taking two because I, I – it's just, it, it makes it so hard. Like I, I always want to be open to getting unique teams. I want to be open to getting ADP values. And when you ever, whenever you construct your team in such a way where you kind of have to not take one position or only take one position, you, you just lose out on the chance to create value that you wouldn't otherwise expect. So like there's other running backs that I really like. And, you know, if I take two running backs in the first three, I'm facing choices where like, what if I get JK Dobbins around after ADP? He's a guy that I really like. I know a lot of people don't really love JK Dobbins is here, but you, really- uh, you're on the right show, buddy. Cause this is the experience. <laughs> Every time I've dabbled in exactly what you're saying, it's nothing but a, uh, you know, exercise of six drafts that I've done or whatever. I take Pollard and Ramondre. Here's yeah. JK Dobbins around and a half past ADP. And I'm like, he's one of my favorite running backs to take. And I can't, it's not that I can't take him. Now I've hamstrung myself, right? And I put myself in this tough situation. So anyway, carry on. Because you, you, I mean, I think you kind of have to be, at, I mean, I guess you don't have to be at anything, but I feel as though you're asking a lot if you're not a four wide receiver through seven. Um, if you're in the yeah. front half of the draft, if you're in the back half of the draft, then it's more through, through eight. Um, but front half of the yeah. draft, which is the only place I draft this year, I think I have like 19% 103 um that's a good so. <laughs> that is a good goddamn place to be yeah in top five if that's what um uh so i do a uh, rotor grinder says it is has a serious show and yeah. uh there's not a lot to talk about believe it or not on dfs shows uh particularly during mlb <laughs> during mlb all-star break uh right about now so we drafted uh uh a best a best ball mania team this past weekend and I drafted with uh, Justin Van Zuden, STL Cards, who is very knowledgeable about football and everything, but he hasn't gotten in, hasn't started his process yet for Fantasy Football 2023. And that's what I, he was like, where, where do you prefer to draft? I said, please, God, give me a top five pick. If I have a top five pick, I can almost guarantee you I'm going to like this team. 
Like I, yeah. I, it's obviously an exaggeration. Things go south sometimes, but if I get one of those top five guys, even if, even if it's McCaffrey, I'll, I'll, I'll take, you know, an anchor McCaffrey. Cause then I don't have to worry about that whole two, three turn shit. I'm like, I got McCaffrey. Like that's my legendary yeah. running back. Now I can figure out what I want to do around him, but it, it is so distinct between there. And I also like what you said about uh, if you're drafting in the back half, having it through through eight because of the nuance of how the the picks play out and uh and especially who's available in the seventh and seventh and eighth rounds um it does become it a depends little bit on, on who you are right like i think every person has like their own definition for when the wide receiver window stops for me it's right. after the baltimore guys like some people i think would include Cortland sutton and michael thomas as the worst of the window some include mm-hmm. those as the start of the next window i'm, I'm more in mm-hmm. that ladder camp some Same. people wouldn't consider the Baltimore guys a part of the, the good thing at all. But um, I, I am drafting every Raven this year. So, uh, but yeah, like you, like you mentioned, it's like, and then it's like, do I want to start zero, three, four, zero? Like not frequently, right? Yeah. I've been doing it more. Like I've been doing a lot more of the double quarterback between rounds nine, 10, 11, for sure. That's the one thing um, that I've been doing way more. Part of it is just like, I pick so frequently in that same window of the draft that I like, I, I feel as though I like have, I could write like a, like a write an encyclopedia on just like picking from the one Oh three at this point. I think I've done like, <laughs> I've done like 18 best ball manias from the one Oh three. It's just been <laughs> absurd. Like I even wrote a column where I was like, so if you like start with cup, one of the benefits, you either get a lava who plays him in 16 or you get Barkley. And then you can have this double way stack where you can go Waller instead of Goddard. So you get Waller with cup. And it's like, I was like, Oh man, yep. I draft position way too much yep <laughs> but i think that that's appealing because like is there anyone you like taking at the eight nine turn like there's there's no one i particularly like taking like the wide nope. receivers are horrible i don't even think that the running backs are any better there than they are for the next four rounds a hundred percent like i did a team yesterday um it was a really unique kind of weird team i was at the 107 with their kelsey take a lave coming back because I'm thinking I'm probably taking Brees Hall in the third or Ramondre. But T. Higgins falls to me in the third with Kelsey at 3-7. I'm like, oh, that's pretty interesting. So I'm going to take that. Yep. And then I take Judy in the fourth. And then I take Burrow in the fifth. And uh, Godwin falls. And then so it's like I don't have a running back at all until I think Damian Pierce in the seventh was my first running back. And I'm like, okay, I need to take a lot of running backs. So I wind up taking like P. Ryan. And then I take Damian Harris. And then I take um oh i forget one of the guys maybe brian robinson or something but i was like looking and i was like my running backs two through five i think have the exact same amount of chance to score the same amount of points despite right. like being they're all the same mm-hmm. it was like elijah mitchell khalil Herb. like I, I don't even know who i like the most like i even wrote them out in my rankings and i have like a block of 12 running backs in a row and i just <laughs> put like am for above market like just copy and paste because I, I don't mm-hmm. even care i love that i i I feel that in every single draft and I have started to do at least one of those quarterbacks in that window. Like you mentioned, eight, nine, 10, 11, whatever. Um, let's call it. I'm trying to look at it right now. Richardson kind of gets there anywhere. Tua even gets that right. So from Tua to Gino. So Tua, yeah. Anthony Richardson, Dak cousins, meh, Daniel Jones and, and Gino. That little window right there. I, I mean, I like all of them fine. No one is like, oh my God, I have to have this guy. You know, this is, there's no one right. here that I'm, I have to have. But they also do all have plenty of upside to be a great pick there. And as you said, 
we're past the wide receiver window, which is it, I call it the Bateman line for me. It, it's nice. Bateman. And, yeah. it, w- w- depending on Bateman flipped Zay for a little bit, and like, so it became the Zay. Flip back the Zay and forth line. every two they, days. They just yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bateman got a quarter. <laughs> Bateman was the steamiest wide receiver in like all of drafts, so he flipped Zay, and then he got a quarter zone shot, and and you know it, it went back. It's funny yeah. how we worry about a quarter zone shot in May, but he's still um, still my most drafted wide receiver, or second most. But I I, I miss. I, there was a time in my life where I had eighty-one percent Nico Collins, but that time has has changed now that, now that his and his ADP is like a, is a lie. Like I know that his ADP still says one twenty-six. I haven't seen Nico Collins with his ADP in, nope. in a month. Nope, that's what I don't. I don't. I uh, I talked to Corrine a while back, and I said that uh, in the uh, I think there's a poodle out now, but in the, the original poodles, which were twenty max at the time, I was like, I'm gonna just run little experiments in those, draft twenty teams, but in each one, I'm gonna like have a, I'm gonna draft the same structure. So like one was all zero RB teams. I held myself to that no matter mm-hmm. what happened, right? Like you said. Brees Hall falls to the fifth round. Tough shit. You know, you know, you're not taking them. That's an exaggeration. But you know, something happens. It does, Christian McCaffrey is available at the 204. Tough shit. You're not taking them. And I, I kept being like, okay. I also did a robust, you know, like a, a hyper fragile. I wouldn't call it robust because I didn't always like hammer three early. I would play around with it. I actually really like if you're gonna do that, like you mentioned. This is where Dobbins. Like, I want to be really overweight Dobbins, and I, that's a. a you just can't get that if you do the robust thing. But if you get Pollard, Brees, and then I like coming back to that window, like you just mentioned, Harris, Penny, Brian Robinson, P. Ryan, whatever. I like all those guys. And just taking two of those in a hyper-fragile I've kind of liked. But Nico was like, when I'm doing this hyper-fragile thing, I'm like, I feel like I'm probably going to draft like 80% Nico. But I kept the only wait- wide receiver that I liked basically after pick 85. Like it was, yes. he was like the only guy that I could see upside and that is going to run all the routes. Like it was the only person. 100%. A hundred percent, but I didn't end up, I mean, I was overweight because that's what happens when you draft a hundred percent hyperfragile teams, but it wasn't like that much. And like you said, it was because I'm trying to map it out by people's ADPs and he's never there at ADP, but his ADP, I feel like his ADP should be like one Oh five, but it keeps the app keeps telling me it's like one, one thirty. So he's falling somewhere. It's just never in any drafts. I think it's just the lag where like he, I mean, I can't even remember what he opened at, but about, it was like four or five days into BBM. His ADP was 159. And that was the day that I tweeted, if Nico Collins was an eighth round pick, I would still draft him. <laughs> and and ever since then, like, it, it's like his ADP is 150, but he's actually going at 140. So the next week his ADP says 145, but now he's actually going at 135. So the next yeah. week his ADP is 140. So it's like, it just keeps climbing. That's true. But it never yeah. gets to a point where he stops climbing. So he's always going ahead of ADP. Like last week, his ADP was 131. But then he was always going at 120. So now it's 126, but now he's going at 115. So it's like, <laughs> no matter where he goes, people will take him around ahead of ADP. That's true. And it's not stopping until he passes Michael Thomas. I, I promise you this. Before the NFL season kicks off, Eagle Collins ADP will pass Michael Thomas. I feel confident. In that. Well, Michael, well, Michael Thomas will tweak his ankle again and not be practicing. And uh, uh, yeah, the, the Michael, I'm, I'm still not even if his ankle is 100. Yeah, that's healthy. true. Be like Dennis Hodgkin, he's really close to practicing. That that is true. I wonder what it's like to have Michael Thomas bags for it's it's like I would have rather had uh, Will Fuller bags last at least year and at least it was so at least fun Will... for two weeks. <laughs> I, yeah, I, mean, I felt so good. I felt through... so rich. They even threw him a goal line fade, which like didn't used to be, you know, he used to he used to dominate, but it wasn't on goal line fades. And you were like, what the hell just happened? Um, and then he turned back into the corpse of, of Michael Thomas. But yeah. but what you were saying about uh, those quarterbacks. Yeah, I think that's been a, a really interesting way in terms of like 
full upside across your entire team. I I have my guys in, in particular Sam Howell and Brock Purdy that go that go late that I really like. But I'm not going to sit here and tell anyone that I think like <laughs> these guys are going to be consistent, you know, competing at the top of quarterback scoring points. This group and from Tua to what I say, Gino, yeah, Tua to to Gino, absolutely on a week in and week out basis can compete with the top. You know, are they Jalen Hurts? N- no, but we saw Daniel Jones compete with that high end for most of last year. Gino popped up, right? We know Tua. Tua was one of the only quarterbacks to score 40 fantasy points in a game last season, yeah. right? Et cetera, et cetera. And so I found that to be this spot where, like you said, the running backs that go there are like Javante, da- uh, I guess Dalvin's a smidge ahead of there, but James Cook, Gibson, which Gibson is also a guy who's just, my God, his rise is crazy. Zach Charbonnet, A.J. Dillon, Alvin Kamara, and then you get into... P. Ryan, right? Robinson, Penny, Harris, A. Chain, Khalil Herbert, Eli Mitchell, etc. But those guys go all go after the quarterbacks. So it's like all I have to do is give up James Cook and Zach Charbonnet, and I get basically the same running back, maybe better depending upon how you view those guys. Yeah, like and then vacuum, I can get the I like quarterback. some of the later guys more. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I would take if Khalil Herbert's ADP was Zach Charbonnet's ADP. I would probably take less of the quarterback because I would be more upset about missing out on Khalil Herbert than I am missing out on Zach Charbonnet. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I don't really, but I don't really mind missing. Like, I don't know, AJ Dillon, like it's, there's so many of the same guy where it's like, okay, they're probably the one B and so they're going to score eight points per game at base. And if the other guy gets hurt, then they're going to score 15 points per game. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other group, like that's like the Charbonnet, Dylan, P. Ryan, Elijah Mitchell contingent. And then there's the other group, which is like they're going to score 11 points per game. And if the other guy gets hurt, they're going to score 11 points per game. And that's, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and that's like the Khalil Herbert, Brian Robinson, Damian Harris. Like Correct. That's, that's them. So to me, it's like depending on what you need, you have like five options in bucket A and you have five options in bucket B. And for some reason – you know, we have to order them. So there's an order to how they go, but it doesn't seem like any of them are actually really all that different from each other. Um, so at least that's, that's how I perceive them. And I'm not even sure that my ranks line up with how they're actually drafted. So it's, it's certainly a spot where if you want to wait, you can wait. And like, it'd be different if I was drafting a bunch of teams, like the one I just talked about, if I was drafting like I was last year, where I, you know, have coming into that stage of the draft with zero or one running back, then it's like, well, I need four of these guys. Right. Like normally I don't like I'm, I'm almost always at I'm, I'm almost never at zero running backs through seven. I'm sometimes at one. I'm, I'm probably most often at two. So I really only want one or two of this next tier of running backs. And then maybe right. one or two of the really late ones. Right. Do you think in terms of overall upside? So we have those, that early pocket we have, uh, from Najee down to uh, let's exclude, like you mentioned, the Damian Pierce, right? Let's start that as our kind of zero running back line. That Damian Pierce tier yeah. is what we'll call it. Then you have the kind of dead zone before it. And we all have a couple of guys that we like as they yeah. go in the dead zone, but like, I don't view JK Dobbins as that. I do view, you know, Miles Sanders <laughs> as, as well, that. I've just uh, been using Miles Sanders as a personal punching bag on Twitter for the last three months. <laughs> so I don't need to like, take more fun of miles sanders but yeah i don't understand that adp at all yeah i mean miles sanders if there is a mike davis of this season it certainly feels like like miles sanders but so if i'm building a team and we and we also 
We haven't talked that much about quarterbacks or tight ends. We know that the elite tight ends give us the best access to a, you know, a, a particularly a spike week um, yeah. in the playoffs. And we know the elite quarterbacks are awesome. And we've gotten really good at projecting kind of elite quarterbacks and be efficiently drafting elite quarterbacks. We just said that running backs kind of all throughout the draft are projected better than, than wide receivers. Do you think that this year a zero running back approach can have more upside even than historical seasons because you're getting Damian Pierce or Cam Akers or these guys like you mentioned in the seventh, eighth round, and then you're still getting Khalil Herbert in the eleventh round. So you can have you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. Your wide receivers, however, are weaker than old zero running back teams. So how do you think about that like balancing act, right? Old zero running back teams, mm. like dude. These guys going in the first round that you might have had three of them on the same team in zero running zero running back teams. Now your third wide receiver is like Jerry Judy, who I mean I I'm fine with Jerry Judy, but it's a different third wide receiver on a zero running back team. But your running backs are better, right? Your running backs are better than ever before. Like, how do you think about that? Yeah. Well, I think you need a few things to happen. Like this is I, I wrote about this in a different piece where I just wrote about like, um, kind of like how does zero RB win this year? Like last year. How did zero RB win? Well, the early wide receivers basically all hit. Mm -hmm. And then there was enough like mid to late running backs that hit. And you combine those two things and zero RB wins, right? Um, I think this year what needs to happen is like, first of all, the first round wide receivers need to smash, right? I think that needs to happen, which is it's probably like, Basically, everyone through Devontae. Those guys need to smash. So you need to eliminate like CMC, Bijan, and Eckler from outscoring the right. people who um, go around them. And then I think the biggest thing that you actually need in a zero RB for this to be a winning zero RB year is I think that the wide receivers in 2-3 are such a dog to outscore the 2-3 running backs on net. The way you actually need, I think, are the quarterbacks at the 2-3 turn to be so much more impactful than the running backs at the two, three turn that I think for zero RB, you, you kind of need to go early quarterback this year because my take on it is like, because the wide receiver window is so short, if you are drafting multiple early running backs, you, you still, you can't, what you can't do is you can't also be strong at wide receiver and be strong at the onesie positions. Like that's, right. that's the, because you just mm -hmm. run out of wide receivers too fast. If you take two early running backs and you take an elite quarterback and you take in a light tight end, your most wide receivers you can have through seven is three. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing is I think the onesies need to smash. So I think if you're drafting zero RB teams, you probably need to be taking the early onesies and then, okay, whatever. Some of the early running backs hit, but you can beat that out at quarterback. And then, you almost need it to not be a great year for some of those middle wide receivers, because that could be potentially be the edge. It's like, yeah. you know, you guys are, are, are thin, right? If you're taking two running backs, you're, you probably only have those four wide receivers. You probably only have one truly elite one. So you're really relying on whatever combination you have from like that tier of like, you know, from, from like the, the Keenan to Judy all the way through to the dots and to Pickens to those guys. Like yep. you're, you're really relying on those guys to almost be in your lineup pretty reliably. And I think if like a good chunk of that group fails, then zero RB teams are just more likely to have resistance built into their lineup for that because they're robust to that. And I think that's probably 
what happens is that you get the bonus of the elite quarterbacks, you get a robustness of your wide receivers, and then you know you're you're set up where you're where you're less fragile than those other teams. I think that's probably the big thing. So to me, if that tells me how do I draft a zero RB team, like yeah, I think you do want to get in probably in, in and around that Pierce range, but I think you you want to be for sure hitting the onesies. Um, and I'm I'm getting lost slightly, but like yeah, basically, I mean, long story short, I haven't been drafting as many zero RB teams. Because at the end of the day, I think there's like, there's a point where you have to make it up. It's like, okay, I'm deferring CMC because I can get Pollard later. I'm deferring Pollard because I can get a better price on Dobbins later. I'm deferring Dobbins so I can get a better price on Pierce later. <laughs> but once you get to Charbonnet, you can't get, you're not actually getting anything, right? Like both these guys aren't actually as good. So it's like at a certain point, you're either deferring the elite running backs so you can get other elite running backs. You're deferring the elite running backs entirely because you can get projectable volume so cheap. Mm-hmm. But then the projectable volume does run out. So like, I do think that you at least have to take a couple bets on these Pierce Rashad white guys. And then you just need to hope that they projectable volume their way to 15 points a game. A hundred percent. The so, so two, two points to that one uh, you mentioned like both the, the onesie positions, but you specifically mentioned around the two, three turn, like the quarterbacks, uh, you, you kind of hit this with the, just talking about the onesies, but I'd also throw Mark Andrews into that yeah. as, as well being the third round pick, right. Who can also somewhat combat those uh, running backs that go there. And he goes after all those other wide receivers. So you can have him whenever the hell you want. Um, He's actually, he's actually probably more of the way I'm trying to combat those, those second round uh, running backs than anything. Um, Which also you run into, well, Kittle just fell around past ADP or Pitts just fell around past ADP, or Waller just fell around past ADP. I'm like, God damn it, I could have taken, you know, Ramondre and Waller or Ramondre and Kittle instead. Yeah. And so it's very, it's very, very, very tough. Um, well, part of and, it might be you just need the back half of the draft to win. Yeah. Right? Oh, like, yeah. In terms of the players, like just as a group, like if the players that are drafted in, like I, I just call it like group A, group B, group C, like group C being nine to 12. Like if just the players as a group drafted in group C are better than the players drafted in group A, then zero RB has a way better chance to succeed, right? Because then those Which teams is funny. the Pollard and whatever don't have those wide receivers, but you do. And the Andrews Lamar team has, you know, if, if like, if, if Chris Godwin is a smash and Deontay Johnson is a smash and Tyler Lockett is a smash, like the people drafting along that line, like now they have a, they have a fighting chance. Yep, 100%. And it's funny because those that has been the thing that we've been kind of not arguing for for the last couple of years, but we've had Christian McCaffrey, right? So we've had Christian yeah. McCaffrey. We had Jonathan Taylor, who's not quite the same 101, but we even Cooper Cup or whatever. We had these this first tier, and it was how do we beat? I, I remember I, I recorded probably 10 hours of content in the last couple of years. Like how the hell do we beat CMC teams with CD lamb? <laughs> you know, it's like this field, right. like CD lamb and who at whatever pick your last year, two years ago, whatever it was, pick your shitty wide receiver one. And how do I beat the, the only legendary running back left in the, in the yeah. player pool? How, how do I, how do I beat him? And, you know, sometimes it's just variance. That's how it goes. The back half of the draft has won two years in a row, despite the fact that, again, this year we're saying it. It's a little different this year because it's all wide receivers. But again, we're saying the front half of the draft has a distinct advantage because not only do they have an advantage in round one, they might have an advantage in round two 
and round three, right? So you you get a you get the end of an elite tier in the second round, and you get the beginning or the the kind of end of the super elite tier across all positions. All the quarterbacks are gone, right? If you pick one hundred three, like you did, all the elite quarterbacks might be gone, and I don't know if Andrews would be gone necessarily, but he could be. And all the running backs, right? All the we're now we're into the Amari Cooper zone. Which is like nobody yeah. wants to be in the Amari Cooper zone because you're just no. like fuck. That's I have when to take you're, you're you're taking calls to other general managers and asking if anyone's <laughs> interested in trading off. Like if it was a right. dynasty if draft, you you'd trade, be like, pick yes. on the block. I'm going for a walk. <laughs> yes, if you could trade in best ball, every time <laughs> yeah. somebody got on the clock at 307 or 306 like or whatever, like a future would... 2025 <laughs> first, please. <laughs> Please, please. Somebody, I will take, uh, just give me, I'll trade down to the end of the third. Give me your 18. Like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. I just want out of this pick because I do not want to take Amari Cooper at the 307 or whatever. But that's, yeah. but that's where we are. Um, so then on the flip side of the zero RB discussion, I want to talk about utilizing those. You mentioned kind of when you talked about the, like the, again, the two, three turn guys. But if I am, I know I want to dip my toes into these early running backs because they're so good and they're so much better, yeah. um, particularly the second round guys. But Christian McCaffrey's pretty fucking good him, himself. Yeah. Uh, you and I both like J.K. Dobbins, whether the people like Najee Harris or or whatever. There's so many running backs along the way here that like how do you properly can like put it all together in a draft? Like if you had it your way. How are you? Let's not necessarily from the 103, just in right. general. How are you kind of piecing those running backs together when I say, like, right? I, I constantly am fighting this battle about not fighting the battle, but trying to push back on people that are like, you just have to take the two, three turn running backs. You have to take the two, three turn running or second round running backs because JT and those guys don't necessarily go with the yeah. two, three turn. Because, like I said, well, Dobbins projects better. And Damian Pierce projects better and Damian Harris projects better. And all these guys project better later. So don't tell me I have to do anything <laughs> because right. I, I have all, I have all this other stuff too, but you could all, if someone also came to you and said, dude, I, these guys, Tony Pollard was a top, would have been a top five pick two years ago. Like not, not even that we're not talking about 10 years ago. We're talking yeah. about two years ago. This guy would have been a top five pick and I can get him at the two, three turn. I'm not going to turn that down, but then how do you construct the best roster around it when you do want to take these early running backs. Like, how are you, how are you thinking about, right? You don't like anyone beside behind Rashad Bateman, but you're going to have to take guys back there. You know what I mean? Like, how do you put it all together? If you, if someone says, I want to draft a robust team, I want to take Pollard and Ramondre and JK Dobbins and then Damian Pierce. How do I, like, how do I do this? Well, the way you do the robust team, right. Is you probably have to, I think that's where you really have to attack the two quarterback window because mm. so like I got, I got caught in a spot here. I'll use an example of the draft. I, I even posted this one on Twitter because I thought it was unique. I was, put, I was thinking at the one eleven, and what it's an interesting thing where like, I think Eckler projects better than B. John Robinson should go ahead of B. John Robinson, but I usually don't take Eckler, but then I usually do take Bijan, And it's more <laughs> just that when I, when I'm picking in the back half of the first and Bijan's there, I'm, I don't really like the running backs at the three, four turn. Like Correct. I'm, I'm, I don't mind taking Gibbs and Ethan when they fall to me at the very end of the fourth, but I really only want to take them when I'm getting my discount. I don't really want to go out of my way to chase them at their ADP. So for that, it's like, okay, I'm probably taking Bijan because I don't really have any of these running backs that I like. And I, I hate Madison and Sanders, so I don't ever take them at the five, six. Mm -hmm. So it's like, 
So I take Bijan, but when it's Eckler and it's 107, I'm like, yeah, but I'm probably going to get Brees Hall in third. So I, I don't do it as much. Anyway, so I take Bijan, I take Devontae Adams. And when you know it, the 3-4 turn, I end up getting Brees Hall and Josh Jacobs. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I take Jacobs at the 311. Hall falls me at the 402. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm still not saying no. So mm-hmm. I guess I'm going to have these three running backs. And then it's like, well, I certainly am not taking, you know, a quarterback anytime soon because like my wide receivers are crying right now like we're, we're in peril so you know i hammer four wide receivers in a row i get the zero three five zero and then we get in a spot where it's like okay this is going to be you know i'm going to do two quarterbacks right in the window perfect because i have adams and jacob so it's anthony richardson of course and then um kind of a weird spot where Addison like fell to me super late at the end of the seventh. So then I was able to get in with cousins. Um, but I also could have done Gino because I was setting that up with Lockett, Deontay at that next, next turn. Nice. So anyway, so I think that there's, that's kind of the way that I would look to do it is if you want to take a lot of running backs, you still need to get your wide receivers. You bet on the two in the window and then, you know, you, you get some of these late round tight ends. Like I even think the tight ends are so cheap that you probably can, if you feel you really need to go with, two where one of them isn't that early and your second one is like you know at the very end right like Tyler Conklin Mm -hmm. is dead free he's probably getting 70 targets Mm -hmm. so it's like you know if you're comfortable with your second tight end if you'd be comfortable with Pat Fryermuth and Dalton Schultz and no other tight ends like is it that bad to just have Pat Fryermuth and Tyler Conklin and no other tight ends like is that really that different it's probably not that different um so that's one way and then so I, I think that's, that's like probably, probably the biggest thing is it's just, it's two quarterbacks, the window. Cause I think three quarterbacks and you're dedicating like three quarterbacks, you just won't have enough wide receivers, I think. And you won't have good enough wide receivers if you take one early. So I think it has to be two quarterbacks between round nine and 12, or it doesn't have to be, but that's how I would do it. But two quarterbacks still able to get enough yeah. wide receivers in the window. I'm pushing my first quarterback to late. I'm taking my second one right after. So I don't have to take a third and then I can, you know, proceed with the rest of my draft the way that I want to do it. That's what I was going to, that's what I was going to add to this before we move on to, I want to talk about like maybe some specific players for this year, but I, I really think it is taking advantage of it. So it's two things. One at any point in the draft, you know, you can get a quality quarterback or a quality tight end. Those are the only two positions where that exists. Yeah. It running, even running back after, I don't know, everybody, again, everybody it, like, I don't want to like overrate Chuba Hubbard, but let's call Chuba Hubbard. Chuba is like such an incredible pick. Cause he's, I know every other running back that, you know, is the backup and could feasibly score mid RB two. They're, they're mm-hmm. all going in the one thirties and one forties, but Chuba right. I love 182.0 and has and been I'm, going exactly at 182.0 for the entire season. <laughs> He went, he went, so I, I, I also remember this went on, uh, not for the draft, but went on chip chasing or, uh, early in the off season. And then Corrine and I do a weekly show. And within the course of two weeks, everybody that I talked to was like, yeah, I just keep clicking Chuba. I don't know why he's going at like pick 195 or whatever. And he sky, like it was, I'm not saying it was all everybody that was talking, right. but I think just the industry realized very quickly, like there's no reason why this guy's going round 17 or whatever. And he went way up, but he's hit this wall for some reason around 180 or something like that. So I just keep taking him. He's but I, I don't percent different than Jalen Warren. 
That's what I'm saying. And I love Jalen Warren and I draft Jalen Warren too. I, I do as well. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, it was like the Khalil Herbert thing. Khalil Herbert versus Zach Charbonnet. Like it, right. Like, like you said, I, I, even if they go higher, if Chuba goes higher, I'm still going to take him because, uh, a, he's mispriced in my opinion right now. And I would feel like I don't want to go into the season without any Chuba Hubbard, even if he skyrockets in price. And those are things that I have to balance right mm-hmm. over my portfolio. But again, even at running back, once I get past Chuba, I'm like, yeah, I don't know, you know, what's the difference right. between all of these guys. They're all scratch off lottery tickets. I don't know if they're the backup. I don't know if they're going to make the team. You know, I, I don't really yeah. know anything. I'll draft so, a bunch of them later, yeah. but yeah, like it's, it's just for now it's, it's probably just not worth it. Right. Like I think if I'm taking the guys that there's so many tight ends that nobody even drafts that like, if I'm doing like, if I'm getting my uniqueness badge, like I'd rather just do that by drafting Kate Otten um, right. or like Jelani Woods or whatever. Like, I don't, like, I don't really need to do the Keontae Ingram yet. Like it's like, okay, why don't I wait and see if Keontae Ingram is actually back up and then I'll draft a bunch of Keontae Ingram. Like because he's also fine. still going to be unique because he does not get drafted right now. So you're exactly. still accomplishing your unique, unique, right? If this thing is 50%, I'm making up a number. If this thing is 50% full by the time we find out who the Arizona backup is, guess what? That player is unique. It doesn't matter if they rise. Right. He's still unique because he's, he's not, it's like, in, it's like if, we, you know, in, in DFS. We saw this if in the once, data last year with, with, uh, you know, Benjamin, Jarek McKinnon, like a lot of yep. these guys that were undrafted and then became drafted at the end, they still weren't on a very high percentage of teams. Yep. Uh, it, it, exactly. Um, but so the, the field in, in terms of the quarterback and tight end thing, just because you can get those guys, quality guys late, and the running backs and wide receivers all feel absolutely disgusting, even to, mm-hmm. to sickos like me who like some of those guys and get attached to these god awful players at the end of end of draft. Shout out to Darrington Evans, Darrington and, Evans. And, and the like. If 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 I can get a quarterback back there, right? The casual person says, "I'm just going to put Mac Jones on this team, or I'm just going to put right yeah. uh, who uh, Ryan Tannehill on this team, or I'm just going to put the tight end on this team." Even. I, I have Kyle Pitts. I don't care. The tight, I have the tight end back here. So everyone is taking three of those guys. Uh, uh, a guy who was in the chat here, uh, Sacrilegious, has just written up a couple of articles for us uh, today that got posted to the website, which everybody needs to check out. And one of the things that he pointed out was that three quarterback, particularly on underdog, is probably one of the most overutilized things. And, I, and not only because of like historical win rates and all that kind of stuff. I think it's a lot because of this particular landscape is like, how do you combat all these things that we just spent 50 minutes talking about is like, just lean into these quarterbacks a little bit more and just take two. Sure. You might lose a couple of teams that didn't advance because you know, your quarterback sucked or whatever, but the good teams, which is all you really care about in this silly right. little game with create with rake and, and crazy hot top heavy payouts is you, your own, your whole season's decided by one team. So build for one of these teams, right? Build for whatever gene. All I need is Gino and Dak. All I need is Gino and Brock Purdy, right? I'll, I'll, shit. Push it a little bit further, right? You maybe you like Aaron Rodgers more than I do. I don't. I, 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 right. Like but I'm saying all I want is Aaron Rodgers and whoever, right? You like Aaron Rodgers and Ryan Tannehill, the market's idiots. Why is Tannehill going in the last round? Why is Aaron Rodgers going there? That's what someone says. That, lean into it. Right. Because that's how you can combat the fact that 
no one ever feels comfortable through eight rounds of a draft. No one like ever feels, certainly right. no one feels comfortable through 12. So how do you do it? It's it's, I think it's with those onesie positions. What do you make of, cause I think there's almost like an intermediate period where, you know, like you mentioned quarterback and tight end feel like the best picks at the very end of the draft, especially now talk to me in six weeks and I'll say running back to the best pick. But for now, yeah, we don't know who's going to win these camp battles. There's just way like, once I know who the Chargers backup is, then I'm spending three days doing nothing but drafting them. But right now, it could be Stiller, it could be Kelly, it could be Ezekiel Elliott. Like I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, and the free agents. Um, That's the other thing. We we got th- four four veteran free agents exactly. that haven't signed anywhere. Yeah, right. So right now, I think quarterback and tight end like feel you know maybe if not maybe not even the best pick, but they certainly feel like the comfiest clicks at the very end of drafts. And you want to get utility out of that comfort. So, you know, we also talked about that middle section of the draft, right? Core quarterbacks, especially feel really good. I, I do like some of those tight ends in that range, but I understand that that's like the stone worst bet historically. So I don't really want to like, you know, talk about my Greg Tolsich exposure, but it's, it's fine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but you get into Chig, that. Dulcich, yeah. Chig, Dulcich, uh, even up to Fryermuth, all those guys. I, I, I understand. Really, I, I really like Fryermuth. I don't understand. He's like, like a boring player, but I just, I just think he's like a lot better than people think he is. Like, I just think he's mm-hmm. mispriced, which is like not really the reason I like to be in on players, but I don't know. I, I think he's just better than where he goes. But I think you can also yeah. really easily tell yourself a story that he breaks into that. I, I don't, I don't want to say like super elite tier, but like kind of into the I super mean, yeah. elite tier. He has like 22% targets per run on a 9.88 odd. Like that's what you would want. And he, he's entering his third year and he's going to be 24. Like if his, if his name was like Patoli Friar Conquo, he would have like <laughs> have around 780 feet. But like, I it just is, think, like, I think people look at him and they're just like, that's Hunter Henry. Like, they just yeah, don't, like I don't know. But his profile uh, absolutely. doesn't look like he's Hunter Henry. His profile looks like he's Dallas Goddard. And that is a really good, that is a really good point because we're, despite the fact that the Titans are one of the most disrespected offenses in all of fantasy, and I, I think that they probably should be, I, I don't have a, an argument against that. Chig, we're, we're projecting a lot onto Chig because of uh, basically because of n- not much really, <laughs> like a very micro sample. But Hunter Henry goes in the last round. Hunter Henry doesn't even get drafted in every single draft, which is kind of no, wild. Not. And Fryermuth goes kind of close to Chig, actually, <laughs> right? Yeah. And 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 yet, I don't know. Pickett is probably uh, certainly in terms of upside, a higher upside bet than any of those uh, other quarterbacks. I mean, I don't love Kenny Pickett. I don't hate Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett is like the most meh guy of all time to me. He's whatever. But we're not, yeah, I yeah, set but, up a lot of Seattle Pittsburgh stats, and sometimes I don't get Geno. Same. Yep, exactly. Same. And like, I can, again, I can tell myself the story if I cover up his name and it's mm, first round pick, you know, first, first round pick, second year player. You know, Deontay, Pickens, Fryermuth, whatever. This all seems this all seems fine, you know. So I'm willing to tell myself. everybody the ick with Pittsburgh. Yeah, I don't know what it is. But Fryermuth is a great – 100%. He's like fancy Hunter Henry to people. But I, I think he should be like fancy – I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a different – but he, he's, he's, he's much more than that to me in terms of his upside case. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think does, he's pretty Goddard. Like, I think he's pretty similar in a lot of respects. Like, his, his ADOT is similar. His target earning rates are similar. I like he, that, yeah. He he also plays in like a really condensed route share offense where it's like there's only four guys that run routes. Like I obviously it's like the 
absolute poverty version of the Steelers or of the Eagles. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. That's possible. But part of that is that is that Deontay Johnson and George Pickens are are nowhere near as insurmountable obstacles as AJ Brown and Devonta Smith. So that's that's one aspect. Um, anyway, that that's that's my that's my Fireweed corner. But I do think that there's like a, a part past that, like in like let's say like 140 to 160 range. That's the only range where I actually don't really like the quarterbacks. Like I don't, I don't actually think there's like a great reason why Derek Carr and Jordan Love are are demonstrably better than, like, is Derek Carr does Derek Carr project it any differently than Mac Jones? Like I, I guess Olave is like way better than anyone Mac Jones is throwing to. So that's something. But it's teammates. Mac Jones yeah. is teammates out for Jason Hill at the five yard line. So that's right. also something. And then if you like Jordan Love, like why don't you like Desmond Ritter and Sam Howell? Like, I guess because they're going to get – I guess because maybe they're going to get benched. But, like, if if they play so bad that they get benched, then your team already sucks. So, like, at a certain point, it's like – it's not like – Desmond Ritter is not going to be scoring 18 points per game on his way to the bench. If he right. gets benched, then he's scoring 12 points per game, and then he sucks. Okay, if Jordan Love scores 12 points per game, he probably doesn't get benched. But then your team still sucks because Jordan Love is scoring 12 points per game. So at a certain point, I don't even care. I, that That's – I can't – I'm so sick of talking about Sam Howell. So I don't want to like deep deep dive on it. But you just summed it up perfectly. It's like <clears throat> we have to take on some risk at some point in, in these – you're not going to – you're not going to handcuff your way to $3 million. I'm sorry to tell you, it's not, it's not going to happen. I'm not saying you have to take on the risk with Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter and Ryan Tannehill or whatever, but there's, there's only so many quarterbacks that are at a cost with the requisite upside to actually win you this thing. Jordan Love, I, I, I don't really think is, is one of them. I could certainly at least admit that that's, it's possible riding the bench for a couple of years. He has grown into something, right? Him and Watson and these guys come together. Or whatever, but like like you said, I, I draft some some Derek Carr mostly because I'm just in on the Saints and 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 that, that's a that's a macro level Saints approach. I hate Derek Carr for fantasy, like absolutely despise him. But like, I'm trying to look here. Uh, but I mean, even some of these rookies I, is Bryce Young. Bryce Young's never going to get benched. Well, probably never going to get benched. Yeah. But like, is he ever going to do something to where you're like, oh yeah, baby? got showed up to week 17 got bryce young on my team you know a five foot eight quarterback that doesn't run and a run a run first right. offense like, it's notable that out of all of the quarterback mystery boxes this year right like richardson love stroud young down to howell and ritter the, the two with the most rushing yards in college and the two with the best weapons are the ones that are free <laughs> Like, like Ritter and Howell's peak rushing yard season in college is higher than Anthony Richardson's peak rushing yard season in college. I'm not like, I'm, I get that that's like somewhat like bad faith or whatever. I'm not going to project that they run for more yards than Anthony Richardson, but they do run and they throw to Kyle Pitts and Drake London and Terry McCorn and Jahan Dotson, not Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce, not Christian Watson and the 2023 rookie class. Um, <laughs> <laughs> certainly not um dj chart adam Thielen, robert woods <laughs> like just disgusting so, like so it's something like i i don't know like i you know you're not you're not getting like you know with richardson it's like i can talk myself into getting 
end of rookie season, Jalen Hurts or last season, right. Justin Fields. I can't talk myself into that from Sam Howell and doesn't matter. But I, I mean, I could, I can talk myself into 2019 Ryan Tannehill out of Justin Like, like Tannehill's the 22nd best quarterback in the league, something like that. He's like the 16th to 25th best quarterback mm-hmm. in the league. Ritter's probably not. Ritter's probably the 35th to 40th best quarterback. But in that's the what people but said about Tannehill. Be. But that's what right. people said about Tannehill. Nobody thought Tannehill was any good. The guy played wide receiver in college. He was not. He, he was not anything special when he came into the league. I, exactly. I'm, like, I'm not. It's not anything about that. But it's just saying, your assessment of Desmond Ritter is fine. I think he sucks too. But like, right, but I. Does, but that's fine. I'm open yeah. to. And he throws to Kyle Pitts. He's supposed to Drake London. It's going to be RPO offense. They do quarterback runs to the goal line. He has Bijan Robinson. Like, I mean. It's that Arthur Smith, like somehow people think that Arthur Smith is, is bad at play calling because he calls plays we don't like, which is like, right. It's like he, he calls a lot of run plays, which is really annoying. And it makes me dislike him personally, but he's also really good at defi- at designing offensive plays. Like every time that he has not had Marcus Mariota, he, he has an efficient offense. Like it's like, as soon as Mark, as soon as he gets rid of Marcus Mariota, his offense becomes pretty interesting. So like I I've been taking more Ritter than, than Howell actually, but I mostly because with Howell, like until recently I was always game stacking it. And then I'd be like, well, I'd rather just take Purdy, but yep. now that's no longer like now Purdy actually has a real cost to him. So I, I'm taking yep. more Howell now, but um, I take a little bit of both of these guys and, yeah, like you're right. Maybe they get benched, but also at the same time, like most of the time, I'm taking Howell or Ritter. My QB one is probably like quite good, right? So yeah. it's like, are you really depending on ping ponging weeks back and forth between Patrick Mahomes and Sam Howell? It'd be you nice, only need a couple. But... You only need yeah. You only yeah. need a couple. You know, pop up here and there. Maybe save a playoff week for you, right? Week 15, Mahomes yeah. has a down game, and Howell scores 26. And like, oh, right. Yeah, okay, cool. That's that's good. He, he doesn't need to be, you know, he Ritter. Th- these guys don't need to be the quarterback four, <laughs> you know, to win yeah. you the whole thing. And we've seen this play out in winning best ball tournaments for years now. Uh, Liam won with Justin Field, rookie Justin Fields as his as his QB two. Who, if you if anyone doesn't remember, I know Justin Fields was awesome. I know Justin Fields was yeah. awesome last year. Go look at what he did as a rookie. It was yeah, basically a one. Check my DFS lineups from every <laughs> fucking week. Kind of Martingale, yes. the hundred yard yeah. rushing performance. Exactly. Uh, duh, for anyone that doesn't know, the Martingale means he lost. It was it's literally losing every single time. <laughs> yes. It was it was it was effectively a one quarterback team. Um, yeah. The the a win won a million dollars with a one quarterback team. The winner on drafters last season. Their QB two, Jalen Hurts was the QB one, which is should be unsurprising to to everyone. And Jalen Hurts missed the end of the year, which is just how good this guy's team was. And drafters cumulative scoring yeah. one, weeks one through seventeen, effectively had one quarterback and and had a multiple weeks with zero quarterback points because his QB two was Zach Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> so like you can win a hundred, uh, you know, give or take a hundred thousand person tournament where you have to score the most points from week one to week seventeen. You can win this playoff gauntlet like Liam did two years ago with one quarterback. Don't tell me that Sam Howell getting benched is like the end of the world in all of this. When the alternative is like you said, a guy who is going to score 14 points per game at like a upside 
situation. I'm looking at last year, just to, to put a bow on this one. Marcus Mariota, who was maybe the worst quarterback in the NFL last year. I mean, I drafted him as well last year. Oh, God. In, 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 that guy owes me money. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He, he owes Kyle Pitts money, probably bonus money. <laughs> Uh, Kyle, uh, Marcus Mariota scored just shy of 16 fantasy points per game. Not, not drafting scoring, like a yeah. kind of standard FanDuel underdog scoring. Derek Carr scored 15.5. That was with Devonte Adams, with Josh Jacobs, etc. Scored 15.5. Only Derek Carr could have like, what was it? A top three wide receiver and a top yeah. three running back. And Devontae 15.5 points per game. Went Loser. nuclear. And Derek Carr couldn't even <laughs> outscore Marcus Mariota. Aaron Rodgers, former MVP guy who right. we're now excited about on, on the Jets, 14.8 fantasy points per game. Tom Brady, maybe greatest quarterback of all time, 16.5. Russell Wilson, 15.7. Uh, I mean, we can just get Mac Jones, 12.9. So Mac Jones is the, is the example of the guy you would, would have drafted last year over Ritter and Howell because you say first-round pick, you know, the Patriots were actually good two years ago on offense. I don't want to deal with the risk of Howell or whatever. Okay, congratulations. You got 13 points per game, and he also got benched. But, like, you got 13 points per game and not a very good player. He didn't help you at all. So what did you really get as opposed yeah. to the risk The risk of these guys getting benched? That's the thing. Like, I think you hit on it. Like, the bench risk is, like, almost immaterial. It's the, the big risk is that they suck, which is, is probably the case. That's why they don't get drafted at every Correct. draft. Obviously, they probably suck. But, like, again, like, the bench risk is just it's just a higher subset of the times that they are already useless to you. They're even more useless to you. And, like, I, right. I get that it's maybe a little more complicated than that, but that's, that's ultimately um, how I look at it. But the, the upside, I guess, is you just talk about all these shitty quarterbacks. Why I keep coming back to liking the two quarterbacks in the window is that I really would prefer, if I can, that opportunity to get the low-owned quarterbacks through. And it's a little harder when my team is set up <clears throat> Jalen Hurts, Desmond Ritter. It's like, do I really want to optimize my team for the scenario where Jalen Hurts sucks, Desmond Fails. Ritter gets yeah. 23 points per game, and then I get a Jalen Hurts like because like that feels like like a Calvin Ridley level parlay. So to me, like, uh, and by that, I don't mean drafting him at ADP by that. I mean, what he's betting on NFL games, um, <laughs> in terms of <laughs> which, if drafting him at ADP also feels like somewhat of a parlay, but, um, <laughs> uh, right. But it's way easier to tell yourself a story. Like, like something I would love to do is like, okay, I will take, I'm going to take Saquon Barkley, Deontay Johnson, Tyler Lockett, Zach Charbonnet, Daniel Jones, Geno Smith, um, and, or, and Cooper Cup, of course, is the first part of this. And so now I have this team where it's like, okay, in one week, I get the Daniel Jones crappy game because all the rushing touchdowns go to Saquon Barkley, who's on my team. Right. And then the next week, you know, I, I get the low-owned Jones. And hopefully during the week that it was Barkley getting the touchdowns and Jones being, you know, useless, that that was the week that Gino paid off. And now the next week I have Gino's running back. And so hopefully he gets the touchdowns instead of Gino and I have the Daniel Jones. Like that's, that's probably my favorite thing to do if I can is draft two of the quarterbacks in the window and get some of the running backs. I especially love it with Gino and 
Richardson and their running backs because it seems counterintuitive because they're both relying on rushing touchdowns, Jones and Richardson, Barkley and Taylor. But that's exactly what I like about it. It's like if you're right about the offense being good, they're always scoring touchdowns, but it can change who scores the touchdowns. And then you mm-hmm. get the scenario where it's like Richardson's a great pick season long, but one week Jonathan Taylor has three rushing touchdowns. And in that week, Richardson sucks for fantasy. But you're still excited to have him the next week alone because this offense is good. It's just one week they all went to Taylor. Next week you have him, and you can kind of ping pong back and forth with your other running back quarterback combo. So that's that's been something that I've been experimenting with a lot is like the Richardson plus Taylor, the Jones plus Barkley, and then ping ponging with those other quarterbacks of the similar um, similar valuation. I love this this idea, and I feel like it's one thing that I've I've done the the, the two quarterbacks in in that window for sure. But I feel like there's a um, I've mixed and matched with uh, uh, my tried and true triple option, which is using a lot of these shitty quarterbacks at the end that we talked about and the tight mm-hmm. ends at the end, trying to counteract this running back wide receiver problem that we talked a lot about. But I really like this one <clears throat> in terms of setting up leverage. So you could, there's so there's, I don't want to say so many, but let's call it like five different options that you can, you can do this with Tony Pollard with Dak. You could take CD yeah. Pollard and Dak if you wanted to, if you forego CD and you want to do the, I would rather do Pollard, yeah. Amon Ra if I'm doing that, probably. Yeah, yeah. Pollard, Amon Ra, get your, you know, then you could even use the late tight end, get Ferguson in there, right? Get uh, cheap Gallup. You might need Gallup if you take Pollard, right? If you dip yeah. your toes into the running back stuff. Then there's Seattle, where you can always have a Seattle wide receiver. Seattle wide receivers are not free, but they're freely available in every single draft yeah. that you want. If you would like Ken Walker yeah. in the dead zone, you can take Ken and, Walker, and but there's also, also Charbonnet. freely available. It's like I know a fan, so you can always, yeah. you can always nope. grab him. <laughs> Yeah, you want to talk about tight ends that are free. Uh, the world has the world has certainly <laughs> forgot. If the if the world forgot about Hunter Henry, I don't know what they exiled uh, Noah Noah Fant. Uh, he's I, living uh, on a he's living on an <laughs> island with Will Fuller somewhere, according to the best ball drafters. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was recently. I was in a dynasty trade discussion, and I uh, I was in a Devi league, and I had already you could only bid on seven freshmen and I had already bid, I had already got all my freshmen. So I had like 80 extra auction dollars that I couldn't use. And I just said like, whoever is still has players left to fill, let me know what you want the rest of these auction dollars. And someone was like, I'll, I'll give you someone from the end of my bench. And I was like, Oh, I'd like Noah Fant. And he was like, deal. So I got Noah Fant for auction dollars for players. I couldn't bid on that is the current value. <laughs> that is, that is, he is literally the, the, uh, meme or the 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 joke or whatever people like i'll give you a bag of balls or what you know that like, people will <laughs> say that fan. about like you know some shitty baseball player that's like you know uh, chuck knoblock got the yips can we please get him out of here just uh, anything uh, fill up our coke <laughs> yeah. machine you know from Moneyball. Uh, like to promise to <laughs> we'll, we'll give you this guy if you fill up our soda machines for a year or whatever like yeah. that's 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 no fan but you can do it with dallas you can do it with seattle yeah. you, the giants i mean as long as you get saquon i mean what an easy way to do it everyone is free other than Saquon yeah. on the Giants. What I also love particularly about um, a lot of these pairings in, in general, but I will I mean, so Dallas plays Miami in week 16. Yeah, I could certainly tell myself a, a story of that one being uh, a shootout. <laughs> uh, the, the Giants play Philly in week 16. Yes. So that's not very fun. <laughs> They're probably not going to score a lot of points, but they play the Rams in week 17. And I don't know if anybody's seen the Rams roster in particular, their defensive, their <laughs> defensive roster. Not great. Not great. I would love to be. T- and uh, Matt, now imagine that roster, but in week 17 when they're 
when they win two games for the first 12 weeks or whatever, probably going to be a pretty, a pretty good matchup. Seattle, you know, you could tell yourself the Pittsburgh's not an amazing, amazing matchup, but if you pair them with Dallas who plays Detroit in week 17, or you pair them with the giants who play the Rams, you're like, okay, well, Seattle, Oh, Seattle plays the Titans. Feels like a pretty good passing stack considering the Titans sell out to sell the run to stop the run every single week. Despite the fact that it's, yeah, and don't that literally my 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 buddy Dory Jackson is from here where I'm from, and I feel I, I was so sick of watching that poor kid get roasted and roasted <laughs> and roasted for multiple multiple years. But anyway, long story short, those pairings like all also happen. They go together well with the strategy that you outlined, but they also yeah. just so happen to go to mesh well together in terms of like the the specific you know this year schedule implementation so that is they also go together adp wise like you can get this whenever you want and it just makes too much sense a it makes sense for like everything we talked about with the 2023 landscape with like dealing with all of that you're getting you're probably getting an elite running back right you're still getting wide receivers you're dealing with that window with the quarterbacks late round tight ends are available to you blah 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 and then you're you want to get leverage. It's, it's hard to manufacture leverage is something I talked about. Like it's almost impossible to manufacture leverage. This is one way that you can do it. You're setting up a team that's still good. It's still strong structure. You don't have to reach for anything. You don't have to do anything crazy, but like it's almost a guarantee that you're getting, assuming it gets there, you're getting some stack that's not popular through there. It's like almost a guarantee if you get there. Right. Um, you yeah, have to get that's, there, that's, you have to get there. Yeah. But like the whole point is what happens when I get there? I, I want right. to set something up that gives and me an advantage. That's the crazy thing, right? Like we play a game that is like mildly educated Plinko where like all you get to do is like determine yeah. like what slot <laughs> you put it in. Thing. And then, and like what's, what's the most important is then what it does inside of there, but you can't do anything about that. Mm-hmm. But, and it's, it's like the question that keeps me up at night is like probably one of the most important factors to this entire tournament is leverage right how do i get the low owned guy that nobody else has who scores all the points and and there's nothing you can do from a player selection to to obviously do that it's like you it's just all these like one percent edges and then ultimately this is what i came to is like this is probably one of the most reliable ways where you can tell yourself a story of doing that and that's what i've been trying to do and in as many drafts as possible i love yeah I, i i love that one um because like you said, you, you really can't. And, and it's also guaranteeing the right type of players that we want to mm-hmm. have as leverage, right? Like technically some 18th round pick who, who is not being drafted right now and pops up or whatever later on that we, you know, Keontae Ingram uh, is undrafted right now, you know, and becomes this year's, you know, a shitty version of Eli Mitchell or something like that, right? You're like, oh man, this guy ends up stealing the Cardinals job because James Conner is dusty. It's still the Cardinals running back and they play the Eagles in week 17. And like, he's, is he going to like, like it's one, like he could still have a good game, right. but like, well, even if James gonna... Conner starts the game, he's resting by, yeah, exactly. Left in the I first mean, Keontae quarter, is 28, nothing. So what, whatever other running back is on the roster for the Cardinals in week 17 is playing like the last three quarters. <laughs> We can right. guarantee that. If but, you want to get the guy who will help you advance and have a 0% help you in the playoffs, it's, that's James <laughs> Conner right there. Like He projects so good for 14 weeks, and he will be questionable with general soreness for the last few weeks of the season. Yes, 100%. 100%. But like telling yourself the story that Keontae Ingram is winning you best ball mania for is like a really, really tough one to tell. But if I say – 
But if I tell you, you got, you have Dak, Amon Ra, Jake Ferguson, Jake Ferguson is Dalton Schultz, and you have Dak, Amon Ra, Jake Ferguson, and Michael Gallup, and they're 1% owned. Uh, that one seems pretty good. Like, that seems pretty good right. to me. You know what That's I mean? Huge. Um and, and et cetera, et cetera, right? I have unknown Daniel Jones to Darren Waller with Cooper Cup on the other side. Like, that sounds pretty good to me. Those types of things can win you the tournament, and that's really ultimately what, well, what we're looking and for. And the Darren Waller one is big, too, because so many teams – this is another one I do. So many teams, you take Cup, right, at three or four. Cup and Hurts go very nicely together. There'll probably be a lot of Cup and Hurts teams. Cup and Barkley also go. So you probably – so you get this, like, Cup – Barkley hurts start, which is not that hard to get. And then even if you don't get Barkley, right, what would happen naturally? You take Hurts, you don't have Smith, you don't have Brown. Oh, I'm going to take Dallas Goddard. Right. But Darren Waller plays the Eagles in week 16, and he plays Cooper Cup the very next week. So you can actually play it the other way, where you don't take the Dallas Goddard with Jalen Hurts that everybody else takes. You take their week 16 opponent. Jalen Hurts does not need to be stacked. Jalen Hurts can have 40 points on three people shoving his ass into the end zone. So that's fine. And then, and then you can get the week 16 into week 17 with that. And potentially you get the big Goddard week, but then, you know, you go into the Cooper cup scenario the next week too. And in fact, I'd add, you can put on Rashad Penny or Deandre Swift or Kenny get whatever you're, I don't want to dive into a breakdown of the Eagles backfield, but you know, say you like Rashad Penny, like I do in this scenario, in this scenario, you have set up this way to make, Jalen Hurts or Rashad Penny leverage or right. You've set these, these couple different scenarios up and you just said, well, Jalen Hurts is, I know he's going to be good, but I don't have to have AJ Brown or Devonta Smith because I have Cooper cup and, and uh, you know, I have these other good players and now I can set it up with um, maybe I get low owned Rashad Penny in there against the fucking Cardinals in week 17. And I also have this other low owned stack. And the next thing you know, you just built this mega leverage monster that nobody (laughs) else has. For sure you do, because you know who is like stone almost 0% to have a ceiling game in a scenario where Jalen Hurts hits without either of his wide receivers? Like Rashad Penny, because that's not, yeah. he's not scoring a touchdown in that scenario. He is not right? catching like, one of those. Yeah. He is, I like, promise you he's not like, catching one of those. Right, like if, if Hurts is hitting without his wide receivers, that means Hurts is running for multiple touchdowns. This means Rashad Penny isn't. So then you're getting nothing out of Penny, and then you're getting low own Penny, Exactly, like you said, against the Cardinals, which is a feast. On the yep. 1% chance, of course, that Rashad Penny is still active uh, in Week yeah. 17. But yes, exactly. <laughs> it'll, it'll definitely be Boston Scott Week, as we've mentioned it being Rashad Penny here. But yeah, uh-huh. if Hurts throws two and runs for three, there is no scenario in which Rashad Penny gets any of those. Like, it's just he's right. not going to do anything. So you better, you know, he, and then he's also not going to probably run for 200 yards or whatever. So he, there's no chance that he is popular. Really quick, I just want to hit uh, one or two kind of of your favorite-ish players in terms of this kind of upside conversation that we're, we're yeah. talking about here, right? Where, like, you're kind of flag planting who is a guy, um, you know, not Cooper Cup, who is on, uh, like, 40% of your team's, that is 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 you know i don't want to he is on an insane amount of my teams for being the third overall pick i have 18 percent cooper cop that's unbelievable but a guy a guy or two that have this upside profile that you're really looking for maybe has kind of uncertainty that the market you know isn't totally buying in on but you're you're buying in on them because of the upside yeah well we've danced around him and, and i've just like mentioned that i'm in on him but i haven't really dug in this is probably the one guy that I'm like taking the biggest stand on that 
most of the members of the cool kids party is not in on anymore, but I'm taking a major stand on JK Dobbins. Um, we talk about all those round two guys. What do they all have in common? Nick Chubb, Derek Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Bijan Robinson, all of them at their peak are guys that are going to have between 290 to 310 carries. They're going to be super efficient. Uh, and they're probably going to catch between 30 and 40 passes. And some of them are in offenses that we project to be somewhere between horrible to average. The Baltimore Ravens went from a total goofy offense that doesn't even resemble any other NFL offense possible. An offense in which their lead wide receiver frequently ran less than 70% of the routes because they just shuffled them in like appendages to their offensive system. Now they get Todd Monken, who's going to run a legitimate offense. Also part of Todd Monken's offense Compared to Greg Roman, where they were continually in the 15 to 18% target share to running backs every time he's been there, Todd Monken was up 19%, 23%, 19% at Georgia. He would frequently use Kenny McIntosh on creative, legitimate running back route trees where he's running angle routes, he's running up the seam, he was getting used. And also, when he was in Cleveland as their offensive coordinator, I understand he wasn't the play caller, so how much say he had over personnel usage versus Freddie Kitchens, hard to say. But that eight games before Kareem Hunt came in is the only time in Nick Chubb's life in the NFL that he has ever continually stayed on the field on third downs. His rookie year with Kitchens, it was Duke Johnson on third downs. He got to play all three downs. He set career highs in targets, receptions, and yards with Monken when he came in to Cleveland. And then since then, with Stefanski, even when Hunt's out, Dearness Johnson has come in and taken some of those third down snaps. He's definitely shown to be a guy who's willing to use his early down runner as an every down hammer. He's on probably the weakest depth chart he's ever been in. If you just consider the continued atrophy of Gus Edwards and what he is now versus what he has been at the peak of his career. And JK Dobbins can just frankly ball. There are only five running backs since rush yards over expectation for attempt was created by next gen stats that have multiple seasons above 0.8 Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones, Tony Pollard, J.K. Dobbins, and that includes, of course, J.K. Dobbins running on one leg, yeah. looking like he's trying to keep his poop in his groin against the <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers, still just absolutely crushing anybody's advanced metrics. I think the guy is, is truly one of the absolute elite rushing talents in the NFL. I think that from the data. I think that from watching him at Ohio State. I think that from watching him in Baltimore. And you look at Baltimore's offense, they have better receivers. They have better coaching staff. Lamar Jackson is always awesome. It's a team that could potentially lead the NFL in points scored. And J.K. Dobbins is by far their best running back on the team. I think that he set up this season to absolutely smash, to have a ton of rushing touchdowns, absurd rushing efficiency, and catch not a lot of passes, but like enough passes to where he's a guy that we get a rare chance in this running back dead zone to bet on talent. And it's not even the talent that's like, I hope this guy gets 90 catches. It's the type of talent that fits the half PPR scoring system. It's the guy who's going to get the touchdowns and get the carries and get a lot of them. And I just can't say enough good words. I think he's a smash that people are snake bitten on and his upside is no longer baked into this price. So that's, that's like my biggest guy that I'm all in on a player take for. If that is not the fucking perfect way to wrap up a show, then I don't know what it is. Uh, I, I have 22% JK Dobbins already. And nice. after you just, God after bless. you just did that, after you just said that, I'm like, I don't feel like that's enough. I don't feel like that's enough. And that, that was that was how good of the sales pitch. I couldn't agree more about absolutely everything. 
and just the Ravens in general, I think like most of my highest known players are like all, all Ravens. Um, but that is, that is a, a perfect synopsis before we get out of here though. Do you have anything that you're working on any more, uh, post coming? I know you got a, a, a episode coming up with Corrine and Davis again here, here pretty soon, but just anything you want to put out there for the folks. For sure. Uh, so you can find all my written work, jacobsanderson.substack.com. Hop on thinking about thinking. Um, I think my most, my two most recent posts were my best ball rankings, but each of those also has like a pretty big preamble. One of them talking about the wide receiver economy. One of them talking about complementary drafting, how, you know, we're attacking certain late round picks to mesh with certain early round picks. If you liked everything I was talking about, about the quarterbacks, the running backs, I wrote a post all about that called three unique ways to create leverage through the current ADP market. Um, and you can find that on my Substack. Uh, I've currently just been doing all my projections. I'm going to have a big post at the end of next week, just outlining some players that I've changed my mind on or players that I think have some un, uh, unexpected contingent upside from that. And then probably the biggest thing once we get closer to August is the, the Hitchhiker's Guide to Running Back column will return. I'll have my off-season um, preview where we'll go basically depth chart through depth chart um, and try to figure out some of the top guys um, from that zero RB group and, and narrowing in into uh, closer to week one. I love it. I love it. I will make sure for the folks uh, watching or listening on the audio feed, uh, I'll put a link to Jacob Substack here in the description. This was a lot of fun and we'll make sure to bring Jacob back. Maybe we'll draft, we'll try to, we'll try to draft one of those JK Dobbins teams or one of those, maybe JK Dobbins with our double quarterback window, mega leverage special that we got going on a little bit later this summer, but for myself and for Jacob and my dogs are apparently starting to go crazy over here. I don't know if, uh, if they're, I don't know if they jumped over my head (laughs) or anything, but we've been on mute because they're going crazy. But for all of us, we'll see you guys next time. Have a good one. Peace. Those were some spicy takes. Want to stay up to date with all of the other spicy takes we're going to have over here at Spike Week? Why don't you press that subscribe button below? If you turn notifications on, we draft a team, boom, you know about it. We have another spicy take, boom, you know about it. You can be there. You can draft with us. You want to stay up to date? That's how you do it. All right, we'll catch you later next time here at Spike Week. Spike Week.